I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Today on the Pro Wrestling Index, we are talking Monday Night Raw and the Raw ratings crisis. We also provide a recap of the show from this week. Brad Gilmore returns to join Mo Chatra and myself to talk about the much-spirited ECW debate and we also discuss how we would book Brock Lesnar through WrestleMania season. Thanks to everyone for listening on the Anfield Index podcast channel. I am Matt Topolsky, and I am joined, as always, by Mo Chatra. Mo, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. I'm high as a kite, and I'm not even on drugs. No, oh, well, look at you. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're doing this show no, um, a little bit earlier than usual, so you don't have to use your inside voice tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm just uh, in a great mood, uh, and I'm sure you are, Matt, because... Uh, you know, going off topic for one moment, but uh, we've had a big, big news story break about Liverpool in the last couple of days. Um, so, sorry, Brad, we're going to talk about Liverpool for a minute. And um, obviously, looks like Jurgen Klopp, the person who we all want to come in as our new manager, is about to be announced in the next couple of days. So, I'm massively excited, and uh, it's tremendous news for the club. I'm, I'm over the moon, man. I'm over the moon. This guy, um, you know, it's, it's funny because I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so this might not make a, a lot of sense to my friends in the U.K., but to my American sports fans, it will. Um, I believe that Jurgen Klopp is the German version of Bill Cowher. Uh, Bill Cowher was a coach for 15 years for the Steelers. Um, he was highly animated. He was known for, for his chin and, and spitting on refs for, because cause just the way he talked and got in guys' faces. And, and he motivated through his emotion. And I see so much of that in Jurgen Klopp. And, and I let's be honest here and excuse the explicitive guys, but Jurgen Klopp is a fucking rock star. He really is. And to get that at Anfield, um, just look at Mo at what he's done for the fan base in the last few days. Just this news has united almost the entire fan base, the entire group of supporters around the world for LFC. Imagine what he will do for our players. Absolutely. I mean, just within couple of days i mean he's not even arrived at the club and the uh, lift it's given to the entire fan base pretty much is just immense and i'm sure when he um takes in charge and um he's at anfield for the first time 
the atmosphere will be like nothing we've seen f since probably the 13-14 season uh, when we came so close to winning the title. So, um, you know, it's a real shot in the arm for the club and we've really needed it because it's just been so depressing for so long and uh, I'm really, really optimistic and I'm sure you are too, so I'm very excited. I I'm, I'm over the moon about it. It's it's one of my favourite things that Klopp has ever said. He was, he was talking about Arsene Wenger actually and how uh, Arsenal – play football and he said it, it's it's very much like a symphony he goes but i prefer uh metal you know he's like it's this this guy that's what i'm talking about he's he's a rock star man and so um uh he's he's heavy metal he's coming to anfield hopefully nothing changes you know we were always we're always a little schizo about this because we're liverpool supporters and we know the things that we've dealt with in the past but uh, it looks like from everything that we've heard from people that are in the know and by many different sources that uh, Jurgen Klopp will become the next manager of Liverpool Football Club. So hooray, hooray, hooray. Some light at the end of the tunnel. But um, let's talk pro wrestling because that's what the Pro Wrestling Index is all about. And our guest who I have in studio with me this week is none other than my co-host on Reality of Wrestling, Brad Gilmore. Brad Gilmore, also the host of the Back to the Future podcast, the only podcast talking about, in Brad's own words, the greatest film trilogy in history. He's also the of all host, time. He's also the host of the Brad Gilmore Show on demand and my co-host on Your Opinion Doesn't Matter. And he also has a full-time job as well. I don't know how, but uh, welcome to the show, Brad. And, and uh, co-host with Booker T on Heated Conversations, oh. Sports Radio 610 and Played Out It. Yeah. Thanks for having me back, man. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be back here. You know, I'm, I'm falling in love uh, with, with Liverpool. Are you really? I, I think you know you've wow. never you've never been across the pond, have you, Matt? I, I haven't. I haven't had. I think we yet. need to plan a trip. We'll, we'll have a podcasting adventure. Yeah. Uh, over over to Liverpool. Okay. Let's check it out. There you go. Let, let's uh, let's meet up with Mo. Let's have let's have like a little powwow yes. in yeah. the UK, and and we'll we'll Anfield it up. <laughs> okay. Well, listen. You need to uh, you need to go yeah. to the air with Mo here first tonight because I don't Good, want you guys coming to blows. Before we get together, you know what I'm okay. saying? Okay, we'll, so. we'll, we'll discuss it later, but I'm, I appreciate y'all having me back, Mo and Matt, we our gracious hosts. Well, you know what? It's good to have you back, my friend. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's get right into it, guys. We have a lot to talk about on the program tonight. Let's start off with Monday Night Raw. A lot has been written about this, reports that Vince McMahon has been panicked over the rating. We don't know yet how this past Monday Night Raw has done, but we know the Raw previous to this scored one of the lowest ratings in its modern history, a 2.3, and that the rating dropped off as the show went on. Mo, we haven't had a chance yet to talk about this because we didn't do a show last week. What are your reactions to the Raw rating? Well, I'm not really surprised. I mean, it's just been in decline for a long, long time. And... Uh, it's a, it's a really poor rating. I mean, it's one of the lowest ratings since 1997, 18 years since we saw ratings this low. And bear in mind, in 97, they were head-to-head -head with another wrestling program, WCW Monday Nitro. So without that competition, to get a number like this, it's, it's really embarrassing almost um, for a company that is all set for a record-breaking year in terms of revenue. Um, but I think there are many reasons for this. And um, I think that there's a fundamental change that's needed about the entire program of Monday Night Raw. And, and not only that, SmackDown too. Um, you know, we've talked on several occasions about the show being too long. 
about it being three hours. But I think even if it went down to two hours or even 90 minutes, one and a half hours, I still don't think the ratings would be significantly higher because I think, as I say, there are fundamental issues with this show. Um, and, you know, just two or three off the top of my head, the presentation of the show, the formatting, has barely changed in 18 years. They went to a very radically uh, different format um, around 1997 when the whole US versus Canada feud first started to um, uh, manifest itself with Bret Hart leading the heels um, on the Canada side and Stone Cold then emerging um, on the US side. And um, that was some great programming. Um, but the whole presentation of Raw essentially hasn't changed. I mean, you have um, the big screen and the ramp. You have the backstage segments. You have the long segment at the start of the show. You have a big match at the end. Um, I think a lot of this has to be completely reconfigured and they have to think completely out of the box about the way that it's all presented because it's just the same week on week. Ratings increase when people are interested and want to watch from one week to the next. The way Raw is these days, you can watch one week, you can miss the next three weeks, you can come back four weeks later, and you can catch up very easily. Um, and the reason for that is because the whole booking of the show is just so formulaic, so predictable. And um, one of the reasons why the ratings just skyrocketed um, at the advent of the Attitude Era is because we were getting stuff that uh, was unexpected, that was surprising, that was unpredictable. And that's completely gone. It's devoid of any of that on Raw now. And, um, you know, there, there are other problems as well. And I'm sure we'll come on to that. But I'll, I'll stop for now and I'll let Brad uh, have his say. Uh, yeah, you know, I agree with a lot of things that Mo is saying, um, 100% almost. Um, but, you know, what? when we – to me, it, it – and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think it might be a little unfair – to compare the ratings of today with the ratings of the Attitude Era or, or anything like that for, for a multitude of reasons. One, the way we watch television has changed. DVR is, is an advent. Hulu and things like that kind of change how we watch television. So not everyone's tuning in on Monday night. Uh, some people watch it on delay. And I know if you watch it on DVR, at least here in the States, three days afterward, that it still accounts for the ratings. So that's another thing. But to me, when we think about the Attitude Era, it was so unpredictable, so crazy, and so wild because, one, everyone was firing on all, all cylinders. Now, you might ask, why was everyone firing on all cylinders? Well, you always run faster when there's someone chasing you. And they had WCW breathing down their necks. Not ECW, but WCW was breathing down their necks week in and week out. So they had a, a, a fuel to that fire. Now, I'm going to speak for a second from a musician standpoint. Now, I know when, when I'm in my band, when, when the other guy goes in and he writes a verse that's just all killer, no filler, it's going to push me to say, you know what? I need to come with something so much better than what he just did. I need to top him. And that's what Vince McMahon and the WWF at the time was, was doing on a weekly basis. They were trying to figure out a way to top their competition. Now, since 2001, there hasn't been legitimate competition. There was a, a period of time where the brand split happened, and then there was actually some competition between uh, the Raw and SmackDown, and that did actually have a significant increase in the ratings for SmackDown overall. But since uh, the Super Show kind of came in in 2011 or whenever that was, when we finally merged both brands back together, um, you've seen a significant drop in ratings because no one's chasing them. No one's pushing them. And the same guy who's come up with ideas for the last 30 years, uh, 35 years, 
Um, it, it started to, I think he's starting to run uh, the well dry. Maybe he's hitting a wall. Should there be some change backstage? I don't know. But I do agree with Mo. You can miss Raw for four weeks and come back, and you know exactly what's happened. Because, one, they tell you six times throughout the program what's happened. Um, but they also have three hours to kill, so I understand that. But I think that there needs to be the, the WWE, and maybe this ratings fall is the greatest thing that can happen to them. Because, I, and I know we'll get to it in a minute, but last night's Raw, I found it to be more engaging than it has in the past. Now, is it still formulaic? Is it still predictable? I mean, yes, to a certain extent, but I still found myself interested and entertained by it through a couple of things that happened. So I think that this ratings fall might lead to better creativity for the WWE brand. Maybe Vince now or whomever is in control, we're assuming that it's Vince McMahon, Man still. Maybe Vince McMahon will say, you know what? Okay, something's not working. I realize that. I'm a businessman. I've built this brand. I realize something's not working. Let me be more open to ideas that I may have been opposed to in the past, which is exactly how the Attitude Era started originally when Shawn Michaels and D-Generation X was like, hey, Vince, let's push the envelope. We don't have good ratings. And he was always against it. And then finally he was like, you know what? Let them have it. Let them do what they got to do to get it done. So I think that's kind of what we're looking at right now here with the raw ratings. Here's the thing, guys. In the spirit of Brendan Rodgers losing his job because something was needed. I mean, and here's the thing. When we talk about this, and again, just reflecting back to football for for a second, Brendan Rodgers lost his job not because Liverpool was awful, but because Liverpool wasn't up to the standard of what Liverpool is expected to be which is a top club in Europe. The same is true of WWE in that WWE isn't awful right now. WWE's making money right now, but WWE's flagship show, which airs around the world every single week in prime time on Monday nights is about as stagnant as we've seen it quite frankly ever. So is it time for the guy that's been making the decisions, the ultimate decision maker, Vince McMahon, to step aside and perhaps let Triple H, who has been doing a fantastic job with NXT, take the reins and have full control over the booking and the writing and what is happening on Monday nights. What do you think about that, Mo? Well, I think that um, Vince is somebody who has demonstrated um, for quite a long time that he's increasingly out of touch with the business. Um, And not only out of touch with the business, but out of touch with society at large. I mean, if you listen to the entrance music, for example, um, you know, a lot of that is uh, very much kind of driven by him and Kevin Dunn in their taste in music. And I'm as much a metal fan as anyone, but, you know, the riffs of, um, uh, you know, the likes of Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins as they come into uh, the ring, uh, that's just, uh, you know, very dated type of entrance music. And um, if you go back to the 90s and ECW, they had cutting-edge music that was contemporary for its time. And, um, you know, WWE needs to look at even things like that in terms of its presentation, that even the music needs to be um, of the type that modern audiences can relate to because um, the WWE average viewer is, what, about 40, 41 years of age? They are not really re- relating with that younger audience, that 18 to 24 audience that were watching this show en masse um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, it's not really a cool product, I'm afraid to say. And uh, WWE need to sit down and think, okay, what do we need to do to make our product cool? And um, I think they've really lost sight of that. And um, 
At the same time, though, as much as I'm a fan of NXT, as much as I'm a fan of what Triple H is doing, I'm not convinced that his direction is 100% the right thing either. Because if you look at what he's been doing in NXT, he's almost created a, an all-star promotion of the best of the indie talent that's out there. Um, so Samoa Joe, Kerry Owens, um, Neville, who was packed previously, Seth Rollins, etc., etc., brought them all together, um, and they're producing some great matches. But as we've seen, great matches on their own are not what draws the casual views towards WWE and to Monday Night Raw and to SmackDown. It's the icing on the cake. That's what the great matches are. Um, it's the characters, it's the personalities, it's the gimmicks, it's the entrances, it's the interviews, the promos, cool people that people are attracted to in some way. Um, that's what people are attracted to in terms of tuning in week after week and paying money for a ticket or paying money for the network or paying money for pay-per-view. And I think that the way NXT is going is too much in the direction of people who are great workers but are not necessarily people who can get over to a casual audience. And, you know, we've seen a couple of examples of that. I mean, Emma, for example, last year or the year before uh, was a, a great cult favourite in NXT and yet she came over to Raw and she completely bombed. She was awful and the larger audience just didn't take to her whatsoever. And, um, you know, it's been similar with one or two others who've come over from NXT as a really hot act, Neville, for example, and, you know, they're just not... Um, related to that wider audience um, in the same way. And I think that Triple H perhaps needs to look at Vince's viewpoint, which is that um, their audience in general like to tune in and watch stars, personalities, characters. And um, so I can see both sides of the argument. I wouldn't completely dismiss Vince. I think he still has some valid views, but... Um, he needs to update those for 2015 because I think he's still living um, in a bygone era. Wow, very interesting. Brad, what do you think about all that? Do you think it's time for a change at the helm, a change of leadership? I mean, we've seen what Triple H has done with NXT. Uh, it's arguably the hottest property in sports entertainment right now. Uh, I mean, yeah, definitely it's the hottest property in sports entertainment right now. I mean, uh, you know, on, on a national scale at least, or a global scale for that matter. Um, <clears throat> but here's my here's my thing. Let me let me just throw this at the wall. Um, you talk about NXT and how great it is, how it's uh, pretty much I mean, a lot of people will subscribe to the network just to watch NXT. I've heard many of people say I only keep the network for NXT. They don't even watch the main pay-per-views. They watch NXT TakeOver specials and the weekly show. Just that's all they do. Having said that, if Triple H were to take over full control of, of the main WWE product, Raw, SmackDown, and the pay-per-views, where does that leave NXT? Does that leave NXT in the dust? I mean, is he still going to try to balance booking NXT and do a main roster booking? Do main roster booking in general? I mean, how is that going to work? Where does Stephanie so McMahon... Say, saying that the, pro the NXT product would suffer. If, if I'm, afraid that that it, I'm afraid that it would. And then also, you know, we, have to, we can't forget that for a long time, Stephanie McMahon... Correct me if I'm wrong. In the late 2000s, was also one of the head creative writers for Raw, uh, one one of the, the head of the creative team, I think, at one point. And I think Stephanie McMahon has gotten the opportunity to learn from her father. She is an incredible. Uh, she's incredible on camera persona, but I think behind the scenes, I don't think people give Stephanie enough credit for how much she knows. She was bred in this business. Like she was bred. She was born and bred and raised in this industry. And I think she knows it just as well as anybody like Triple H 
or uh, Vince McMahon might know that same industry. So I think we also have to th- throw Stephanie McMahon's name in the ring and see, should she have some more creative leeway and creative power? Should it be a tag team with her and Triple H? Should Triple H, Vince, and Stephanie all have control and they all bounce ideas and, 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 and two out of three, uh, you know, two votes out of three wins? You know what I'm saying? Majority that's a, rules. That's interesting. an interesting proposition, Mo, because, you know, we, we again, we talk about the, the Brendan Rogers deal and a lot of news out this week about the transfer committee. Um, you know, a transfer committee helping to uh, yes. make decisions and, and, and have, having a system of checks and balances in place. Do you think perhaps that would help in WWE? Well, I think that perhaps that's part of the problem at the moment in that they sort of have a variation of that with a gigantic um, booking crew of, I don't know how many it is, 200, 300 writers or whatever the number is. Um, And I would be an advocate for having a smaller, a much smaller group of people that are booking and writing and directing the product and I'm not a, I'm not a fan of what they're doing at the moment they seem to have too many people um, involved on the creative side and as a result of that everyone seems to be too scared to put their hand up and come up with really bold and brave and uh, out there type of ideas and that's one of the key problems with Raw. I mean, as much as people like to criticize Vince Russo, and I've over the years been one of his biggest critics, at least he had the cojones to come up with all types of um, wacky ideas. A lot of them were awful. I mean, come on, you know, they were just ridiculous. Viagra uh, and most of those we saw in WWE. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah but, the, but the thing is, though, is, it, it, and, and I, I agree uh, on, on the commentary regarding Vince Russo, but at the end of the day, when he was in WWE and he had somebody to scrub those ideas, once in a while you got some good things that came from it. You know? Yeah. So, yes. so I, I, I mean, I feel like WWE is at a point right now, and, and obviously I don't know this to be certain, but, but I just suspect that you have a team of writers that are not writing compelling television for the sake of trying to make the product interesting. They are writing what they think Vince will like. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that 120%. But here's the thing, you know, and I think the actual number is like, you know, two, three dozen writers, right, somewhere in that. Too many. Too many, though. Too many in in, in regards to that. You know, I look at Reality Wrestling, right? Reality Wrestling, the, the company that Matt and I work for, our storytelling is simple, but it's effective. You know, it's easy to understand, but it's engaging. And that 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 those stories honestly come from two to three people. Maybe maybe at times one person yeah. comes up with the stories here. And I think that uh, what Mo was saying about it being smaller in operation. You know, we remember we all remember the Stone Cold podcast of Vince McMahon where he said he and Pat Patterson would just sit by a pool and book the whole territory for the next six months or whatever like that. And, and even even Jim Ross and Stone Cold always talk about it on their podcast about how they sit and they talk and they book the territory and what they would do. I think wrestling isn't complicated and convoluted uh, enough to where you need dozens of writers to come up with these ideas. Um, Some of the most compelling ideas have come up from one, two, three guys. And I think that's what I'm trying to say with this Triple H, Stephanie, Vince thing is you have a checks and balances. You have kind of a committee uh, of ideas. You know, you have a committee to kind of present ideas to. Vince comes up with an idea or no, let's say this. Let's say one of these writers comes up with a great compelling idea and they pitch it to Vince. Vince doesn't like it. But guess what? Stephanie and Triple H think it's an incredible idea, and this could put this could pop the territory tonight. You know, so now you have more than one guy. You know, here's the thing: what we've learned in the history of the world, dictatorships always fail, <laughs> right? 
and 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 yeah. I think I think when you're operating under under you know, and I'm not saying that he's just a t- a tyrannical dictator, but I'm saying like at the end of that day, it starts and stops with Vince. But if it start and stop with Vince, Triple H, and Stephanie, we might see a more compelling WWE product. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think what what you look at too is many of the ideas that Vince have come up with have been revolutionary. They 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 have created the world that exists today. That there we wouldn't talk be about. wrestling if it not for Vince. McMahon. I mean, not 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 in the form that that we see it today in in, in this 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 grand. Uh, platform. I mean, look, look, look. It would have gone the way of Slam Ball. Yeah, look, <laughs> look, 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 look at what has happened with WrestleMania. Um, you know, I mean, they are going to sell out AT and T Stadium in Dallas, or they're going to come close to it. Um, you know, depending on on how the show is is booked, but uh, but they're still going to draw tens of thousands of people easily just because of the event alone. That is due to Vince McMahon, the WWE Network and its creation and how it is starting to blossom and all the original content that's being created on there. That is due to Vince McMahon. But the product on Monday night is suffering from the same ideas that Vince once himself rejected. And now it seems as if he's almost put himself in this box and there are other people around him that are producing content for the same company, and that content is engaging, that content is fresh, that content is cool, as Mo would say. That content makes you want to buy the WWE Network. But the same company can't produce content that makes us tune into a free show in primetime. And the excuse that Monday Night Football yeah. is, a, is, a, is a major contributing factor to this, I don't buy it. I don't buy that the PG era is a major contributing factor either. I think those are excuses. Raw during the Attitude Era beat out Monday Night Football on several occasions. I think you can create a product that's compelling without having guys bleeding all over the place, without having flaming tables and side boob everywhere. I think as long as the product doesn't insult the audience's intelligence and it is engaging, it can be successful. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, I agree. But uh, to the to what you said though about the ratings thing, we do also have to look at this uh, and take all this information with a grain of salt because I know they've been the lowest that they have been since 1997. But historically, throughout all the years, fall numbers for WWE have always had a drop. They've always consistently had a drop. Maybe not this far. And yes, that does attest to the to the uh, product of which we're watching. But I do think the fall season and Monday Night Football. To an extent, a PG, because if you look at WWE's uh, median age of their viewership, it's 40. 40 is the median age for WWE, according to several reports and statistics. So, I mean, when when a 40-year-old is watching a PG show, they're not going to be as entertained as a, a kid might be. So I think that the things that you're saying are excuses are contributing factors. Well, I, I do think that you're on to something in a sense that they, they, if they, if you know that, they know that. So they know that they have to start engaging a younger audience because if they don't hook them, those 40-year-olds become the 60-year-olds, and then it goes by the way of Major League Baseball, wherein your audience is now primarily averaging in the 50s. It's a baby boomer generation, and eventually those people are going to be dead and gone, and you're not going to have anybody to watch your your product. Mo, do you have any final thoughts on this subject before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I I think that it's very clear – the whole show, the whole product needs a fundamental revamp, um, not just changing the deck chairs around on the ship. It's more than that, much more than that. It's not about saying, okay, 
let's move Seth Rollins out of the world title uh, position and put someone else in his place. It's about everything. The way it's booked, it's too light-hearted. It's too uh, comedic-based, a lot of it. Um, there's nothing that's too serious. Um, you know, the Wyatts, I, th I think, for example, are the biggest victims of that. That's a potentially great gimmick. I mean, it's based on the 1972 movie Deliverance and, um, you know, about these wild hillbillies. And they're restricted by the PG thing. So I disagree. I think the PG thing does curtail certainly some of the characters. And there are other characters they could potentially be putting out there, which they can't because of the fact they want to be a PG product. Um, and I'm not suggesting necessarily why it should be going out there and sodomizing Roman Reigns or anything like that. But, um, you know, there's so much more they can do with that kind of gimmick, but they can't because it's a PG product overall. And, um, yeah, they need to bring a more serious edge to their product, make it edgier, not necessarily having swearing all the time in flaming tables and um, making it like um, an ECW of 2015. Not necessarily, but certainly making it an edgier, more unpredictable product and... Um, making it something that the modern younger people can relate to. And um, that's where I mentioned the music earlier. And I think that needs to happen. But my fear is it won't because WWE exists in a bubble and they're surrounded by people who are too afraid to voice any dissenting opinions, which might uh, be counter to the way the product is currently going. And I think within the WWE, there is this um, certainly battle of... Um, uh, of kind of principles and philosophies where Triple H is pulling one way, Vince is pulling the other way, but Vince is uh, just too set in his ways to change. And, um, you know, again, Neville is a good example. He's just been jobbed into oblivion in the last couple of weeks, which is such a shame. I mean, he's one of the most slickest workers in the company, uh, but because he's only about five foot five, five foot six, Vince's size fetish. Um, strikes again and um, you know it won't be long before we probably see him disappear back to NXT and that's a crying shame but uh, yeah it, it just needs a complete complete revamp but my fear is that won't happen and the ratings will in fact continue to go down also real quick yeah it's a very small change but and we talked about it before Matt but I think it would make a big difference I mean you might not think so, but I think it would make a significant difference, and that's bringing back enhancement talent. And I, I mean, I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. But if you have, if you're not giving away all your great matches on free television all the time, and you're not, and you're kind of blowing off feuds that could be potentially be built up to be great pay-per-view moments uh, by having superstars wrestle superstars all the time on Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, then I mean, you're just going to handicap yourself. I think enhancement talent. It might be a small change, uh, like Mo says. You know, I mean. Uh, but I think it would be a, a change that would affect the product like we view it. But that's just my opinion. Well, well, I mean, it's it's at the end of the day, and I do agree that the enhancement talent would, would definitely help. I think a lot of it is 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 the stopgap booking, which is a product of overexposure, which is why the enhancement talent helps because a guy like Cesaro is a guy that we all want to get behind. We're all ready for Cesaro to have the push that we know he deserves. Cesaro gets a gets a, a moderate push. Then gets pulled back, gets a mouthpiece like Paul Heyman, then has it taken away. One week he's yodeling, the next week he's in a tag team with Tyson Kidd. Tyson Kidd gets hurt, he goes back out on his own again. Then he's getting another small push, then it gets pulled back. The guy wins the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, gets pushed to the moon, then gets then gets pulled back again. And it's always the excuse is always he's not connecting with the crowd. We're here. He's connecting with us. So I don't understand I don't I, I don't understand things like that. 
He is the product. He, he, he is, unfortunately, a victim of poor booking. Mo and I talked about this two weeks on the show when he got thrown into that program with Big Show very shortly. Big Show knocks him out, beats him clean on live television so they can make Big Show look strong long enough for Big Show to lose at Madison Square Garden to Brock Lesnar so they can make Brock Lesnar look strong. Number one, nobody needs to make Brock Lesnar look strong. And number two, nobody needs to make the world's largest athlete look strong. That's why the enhancement talent, I think, helps because these guys are so overexposed that they're running out of, uh, out of ideas and, 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 quite frankly, matches to put together with the, uh, with the current talent that's on Raw every week. So um, with that, let's transition into this past Monday Night Raw. Brock Lesnar came out to start the show, and the TD Garden exploded. Suplex City chants everywhere, and Paul Heyman doing his usual thing, which is printing money. Uh, what did you guys think of the show? I didn't have an opportunity to watch it yet, um, so take it away. Mo, we'll start with you. What would you think? Okay, well, I mean, I didn't think it was a particularly great show. They had a poor, poor rating last week, and you would think that the reaction to that would be, okay, let's pull out a really blockbuster show, really uh, bring out all the guns and uh, show that we still want to mean business in the ratings front, and I saw none of that. I, I really didn't. And um, the show that a couple of nights before from Madison Square Garden similarly um, left me underwhelmed. It wasn't a particularly great show, um, and that was a shame because uh, – that audience in MSG was really up for the show. I mean, the reaction for the first match was fantastic. Um, and yes, there were a couple of good matches on the show, but um, it was just a, it was just a show. And um, I thought, okay, they've got a big, big match coming up. Undertaker and Brock Lesnar, Hell in a Cell, um, later this month. Let's see what they can do to hype this uh, match up. And yes, we had a, a good promo. Um, Heyman is just a fantastic promo guy. Um, but uh, really, it, it didn't leave me particularly excited about seeing that match. And that, that's quite rare when Paul Heyman cuts a promo. And uh, by his standards, it was, it was just, if, if I can call it that, an average promo. Um, and that really set the scene for the rest of the show, where it was just one segment after another, which was either underwhelming or almost boring on the insulting. I mean, this whole wow. Kane storyline is just absolutely absurd. And, you know, when, when you're trying to attract people to, to your show and you're putting out storylines that's as insulting and as logic-defying as that, then wh wh what hope have you got of increasing your ratings and making your product cool again? Uh, I don't know what you think, Brad. Um, well, you know, uh, for the most part, there were a lot of, there were a lot of things actually on – on Monday Night Raw last night that I enjoyed. Um, I will say it was a great – I thought it was a good Paul Heyman promo. I mean, is it, is it one that – is it a grand slam? No, but I think it's a – I think it's a home run in the first inning, if you ask me, because, I mean, Paul Heyman, to me, went out there and, 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 he, and, he, and he did what he always gets to do, and, and he sold me on the match, uh, in my opinion. But um, moving right along to something that you said that, you know, there was some – they were borderline insulting. There were some other things. You know, the Kane thing is interesting to me because I know we live in uh, what, we, what we've deemed the reality era, and that's what we call it because um, it's reality-based, and we're talking about the outside of the business and, you know, what, you know, what goes on in the inner workings of the company, yada, yada, yada. I might be the only one, and, and it's fine if I am, but I, can't, I enjoy – you know, I wish he was 20 years younger. I wish that he was a newer guy that they could do this with, but it happens to be Kane. But I do kind of enjoy this character. I really do. I mean, it's the Jekyll Hyde kind of thing. It's uh, 
I kind of look at it like the mask almost as well, where it's kind of comedic. Is uh, it's kind of comedic, but it's also I I enjoy this Kane. I really do. And you know the match that they had, Kane and and Seth Rollins versus the Dudley Boys. One, it was cool to see Rollins mixing up with the Dudley Boys. I like that for one. And then two, like I like the gimmick when 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 Kane. Uh, is injured and he's about to leave because the, the, the doctor's saying we need to take you to the back and the psychology for Seth to say I'm not letting you go to the back, I'm going to handcuff you I mean, I mean, yeah, it might be silly it might be uh, intelligence insulting but at the end of the day, it's kind of fun and at the end of the I, I mean, I'm not watching wrestling on a week-to-week basis or I'm not watching it in, in, in full just for serious storylines I kind of look at it like the uh, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Marvel comes out with fil- like a film like Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Or or a uh, or really any of their movies. Any of their movies have a large. They're, they're kind of based in in comedy. Majority of their directors who direct their films are comedy directors, and they do that because one, everyone loves to laugh. Everyone loves to have fun. You know, I think where the DCCU, and I know we're kind of getting off point for a second, but I think where the DCCU is going to suffer in the long run is an overarching theme of seriousness, which is going to handicap viewers from being being able to enjoy the movie because they're going to walk out being like, whew, man, that was one tough spaghetti dinner to get through. So, I mean, I think that's – we got to look at it like that as well. But I think Kane – um, and, and Rollins, I, I mean, I wish it was, like I said, a younger guy, maybe someone new that they could have injected in this role. But I think what Kane is doing is entertaining. I think we're just kind of hating on it just because it's Kane. But I think that it is entertaining. Now, another thing that I liked, and you brought up the Wyatt family, Mo, was Wyatt family versus uh, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, and uh, uh, Randy Orton. Now, one of the feuds that I think have been really good, now, it sucks that – the Raw last week was such a low rating because the main event to me was so great. And I think Roman Reigns is finally starting to win over an audience. Ma- Roman Reigns is going to be a main eventer in the future, which the audience, believe it or not, I believe will get behind eventually. I really do because they're, they're slowly, slowly, slowly more and more cheers. And last night he got cheered in Boston in the Northeast, which was very interesting to me. Um, so I thought that was a good match. I, I loved that Sasha Banks was featured in, in, a, in, a, in a predominant role kind of on the, on the show where they uh, even made allusion to the fact that, hey, when Team Bad's out here, they're not chanting we want uh, Naomi or we want Tamina. They're chanting we want Sasha. So, I mean, there's, there are things that were moving. And uh, at the end of the show, which I thought was the best part, was they put New Day over like they did almost the Nexus when the Nexus first made their debut. They put New Day over huge. And New Day is getting louder and louder reactions. And we can say that Vince is doing is not doing this, not doing that with guys like Neville or Cesaro or whatever. But he has seen that the New Day has connected with the audience, maybe in the way that he sees them connecting, you know. And he's given them the ball to a certain extent, and he's letting them run with it. I mean – Opening a show against John Cena one week and closing a show with John Cena in the main event the next week, I think those are two really big, uh, really big factors that are showing me that Vince is taking or the powers that be is taking New Day seriously and they're pushing these guys. I mean, when New Day's standing tall and they leave Dudley Boys, Dolph Ziggler, and John Cena laying at the end of Raw, I think that speaks uh, to to a change in the winds. A minor change may be, but a change in the winds and what we're seeing on Monday Night Television. Mo, what do you think about that? Do you think the way that the New Day has been booked recently, is that an indication that, that things are changing slightly? Or is are they being set up for the fall against John Cena? Because we've seen so many stars that have come up uh, and, and into a program with Cena, and many of them have suffered afterwards because of it. What do you think about this? Is it the former or the latter? 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's the perhaps the former. Um, assuming, that, sorry, assuming the former means um, that they are going to be put over over Cena. Yes. And the reason I think that is because um, Cena, uh, according to reports, is going to be taking a bit of a break for personal reasons, whatever these personal reasons are, and um, he'll be disappearing for at least a few weeks, if not several months. Um, and I think this um, so you're hiatus. He's, he's Johnson, coming back as Hollywood Cena. <laughs> <laughs> No, wouldn't that be great? Um, that would be great. No, yeah, I, th I think um, – I don't know what the circumstances are. And I'm not going to speculate, but um, he is um, going to disappear in from Raw soon. So if that's the case, it'd make complete sense for him to disappear at the expense uh, – sorry, um, as a result of other pe people's actions. And who better than one of the hottest – um, acts in the company, the New Day. Um, now, I talked earlier about having a more serious edge to the uh, promotion and some of the storylines, and I think um, New Day can do with some of that because you know they're very much being portrayed as this light-hearted comedy act, and you know what they do is, is great, and I love it. Um, but taking them in a slightly different direction um, to program with some of the uh, top face in the company certainly wouldn't be a bad idea. And you know if they're the people responsible for putting John Cena out of action from a storyline sense, um, that that would be certainly a way in which to elevate him even further. So I'd be all in favour of that, and I think that will happen. Um, and I think that everything is gearing up to that. So I, I, I certainly welcome that. Um, but, you know, for me, the positives on the show uh, were still slightly outweighed by the negatives. And this was a week they really needed a knockout show to counter the... Uh, the poor ratings performance from last week, and I just didn't see it. I didn't see the urgency, and I think part of that is because they might be of the view that, okay, our ratings are not great, they're at an 18-year low, but our revenues are at a record high, so if it's if it's not broke, why fix it? And um, that, I think, is the wrong attitude to have, because as I said on the show in the past, um, yes, the, rate, the revenues are great, but the product can be so much hotter and the revenues in turn would be even greater. So WWE needs to really be challenging itself and competing against itself in its own history. And that, that's um, the thing I feel it needs to be doing. Um, but yeah, Raw for me was another mixed show. And I think we've had a few too many mixed shows in the A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Last few weeks, and, uh, you know, it's all part of the general um, shortcomings about the way the whole product is is based. Well, I, I think that uh, I think that you're on to something here, and it's it's actually a great segue because the last time that WWE was uh, had to reinvent itself, it was because it was challenged. It was challenged by by outside factors, outside competition, if you will, like World Championship Wrestling and like our next topic, which is extreme championship wrestling many people attribute ecw to helping to spark the attitude era i am certainly one of those people i think mo is as well but a few weeks ago right here on this show brad gilmore had some disparaging things to say about ecw as well as referring to it as extremely crappy wrestling so mo i know that you've taken um taken umbrage that's the original yes uh, yeah and uh, and you have challenged young bradley gilmore to come back on this program and have a spirited debate. So, gentlemen, we will start with Brad. Let's start with you, Brad. Um, you've called ECW extremely crappy wrestling. Barring that line from Jerry Lawler, yes. of course, the great um, king. So explain what you mean by this, and then, Mo, I'll have you respond. Well, you know, I mean, I said on the show, and and, and, and yeah, I'll keep this short, and I'll hear what Mo has to say about it, but um, I think I think when we look at ECW, I mean, we talk about it's glorified. Let's be honest. It's it's kind of overglorified in a sense of like the product. I mean, the little in ring product was I mean repugnant. You know, if I may. I mean, it was terrible. I mean, no one can say that the in ring wrestling, which what many people you know are, are triumphing today, like oh man, Cesaro, what a great in ring competitor. What what a great match! You know, Seth Rollins is the best in ring worker. Uh, uh, Neville, one of the one of the slickest in ring workers, you know, in the company. And 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 I agree with all that. But you know, ECW didn't really have anybody like that, barring a few who were there for a short amount of time, like your Eddie Guerrero's and your Chris Jericho's of the world. Barring a few, I'm not saying by by and large, the in ring product was terrible. Now when we talk about the hardcore TV television show. It was bad. It was really bad. You know, um, and, and Matt, you actually brought up that, uh, well, that show actually went to TNN uh, and, and it was a huge success. You know, I mean, it was an accomplishment that they made it that far. Well, to, to, to bring this back full circle to the beginning of this show, uh, Brendan Rogers making it to be the manager of the Liverpool, Liverpool Football Club. That's a success. That's an accomplishment, right? Doesn't make it good. He was terrible. Am I right? I mean, and so was ECW. I mean, I, I'm i I'm sorry. ECW is the Brendan Rodgers of professional wrestling. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I mean, I mean, it's really it, it had its it had its moments. Right. It had its time. Well, where I mean, where it was maybe entertaining. Well, like I'm sure some of the football games had. Well, but but here, but by and large, the wrestling was no good. The television show was no good, and maybe they had two or three pay-per-views that were even watchable by today's standards. So, I mean, what are we talking about here when we talk about ECW? Well, well, we're talking about an idea. 
it you know ECW is a lot like love, right? A lot of people are, are in love with the idea of being in love, but very few people are actually in love. And I think ECW is that is just that. People are in love with the idea of ECW. People think back fondly about ECW, like they may think about an ex-girlfriend, right? But when you think about your time in that relationship, it really wasn't all that pleasant. And and, and that's kind of what I feel about ECW. I appreciate its history, right? But when we look at what it actually was and is, it's extremely crappy wrestling. Well, let, let's let's be fair. Um, but and, Paul Heyman's a genius. I mean, let's let's be fair. I mean, I, I know that, that you've used Eddie Guerrero as, as a short-term example, but Rob Van Dam was one of their longest. RVD is another. That's what I said. Sparing but, but, a few, but, but, but he was one of their longest tenured athletes. Jerry Lynn was another one. Chris Candido was another one. Lance Storm was another one. We're talking about some of the best workers of the last twenty years. Um, and, so, and, and, and a majority and, of guys couldn't wait to leave that company and go to. They WCW spent years WWE. there. Mo, what, Mo, what, what say you on this subject? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll need a first aid kit because I was buying on. <laughs> I was biting on my lip for so long it started bleeding. Um, well, I mean, goodness, where do I even begin with that? <laughs> right, okay. Let's let's start from the beginning, okay? I took an interest in ECW before um, it, it became Extreme Championship Wrestling. Um, I used to read the Aptomags back in the day, and um, one of the uh, territories they reported very funnily about was um, the Philadelphia area. And Tri-State was a promotion um, that was certainly making headlines. Um, Joel Goodhart was a promoter, and uh, one of the people involved in that company was a chap by the name of Todd Gordon, who then went on to form Eastern Championship Wrestling, running shows in 1992 out of sports bars. Um, very, very... Um, modest start to that promotion. But um, when they brought Paul Heyman in, and um, that's when it really started to change in the 93, 94, they started to put on what for that time were very critically acclaimed shows. And one of the things you've got to bear in mind, Brad, is that promotion was booking for that time. They weren't booking for 2015. So sometimes you can watch something from many years ago um, and it might look very poor or pale because it's not stood the test of time. And I think it could be fair to say that there are certain aspects of ECW that um, haven't stood the test of time that, say, some of the timeless classic matches of the WWF or New Japan or All Japan of the 70s and 80s have stood the test of time. That's fair to say. But um, for its era, it was just the most amazing product. And that is why it became this underground phenomenon. Um, and there were so many aspects to that product that were so cool. And that was something I was stressing earlier, that WWE lacks the cool factor. Well, ECW had it in spades and bucketfuls. It was just the most um, awesome product. And, you know, you talk about how the product was um, poor, the television was rubbish. Absolutely not true. Um, the storylines were, by and large, simple. Um, they weren't convoluted. Um, they made sense from week to week. It was very episodic. Um, Paul Heyman had a limited crew in terms of its talent. Bear in mind, he didn't have the pick of the world's best um, at, in those early days, 93, 94, 95. Um, they started to eventually come. But um, you know, in the early days, he had a green um, Tommy Dreamer. He had a, an average um, Sandman and several other workers like Sal Bolomo who, who weren't the greatest. But what he was an expert at was, as he's mentioned in the past, 
accentuating the strengths and hiding the weaknesses. And so even people who are otherwise limited and exposed when they went on to WWF or WCW um, seem like um, interesting and therefore over characters in ECW. Um, so that was one thing. The other thing you mentioned about how there weren't many great matches. Well, I'm sorry, but there were so many great matches. Um, and, um, you know, you know, some of those have been mentioned by, um, uh, by yourself, Matt, in terms of the workers that were putting those matches together. Um, but there were others as well. I mean, Rey Mysterio um, wasn't uh, firstly debuting in WCW. He made his uh, North American start pretty much in ECW. And, um, you know, Paul Heyman, again, was a revolutionary. He saw what Rey Mysterio was doing in AAA, and he said, yeah, you know, this could be the future. And he brought him in to ECW and he gave him a prominent spot and he programmed him with psychosis and they were having amazing matches. And the strength of those matches is what convinced um, Eric Bischoff to bring these guys into WCW and start the restart the cruiserweight division. And um, on top of that, there were so many other guys that um, came through that promotion, that, that, that territory, honed themselves and polished themselves in terms of promos and matches and went on to other companies and made um, themselves extremely rich. Steve Austin is a good example, and he credits ECW for resurrecting his career um, after being let go by WCW. And on top of that, um, there, was, there was just this um, very amazing, intimate kind of um, vibe about ECW where it was so closely aligned to its fan base, which is not something you can say about many wrestling promotions and certainly not about the WWE that in many respects is very distant from um, its, its universe, as it likes to call it. ECW was something that was um, at one with its fan base and the fan base made ECW and ECW um, as a result grew this fan base and it became much bigger than it had any right to be. And the only reason it went out of business is not because um, it became creatively bankrupt, it's because it became financially bankrupt. And that was because, as Paul Heyman has admitted, um, he wasn't good with money and he overspent and um, he lost control of the cash flow and he had to co close the company down. Um, but I think that if he managed his finances properly, ECW would probably still be around today. Well, I mean, if you think about the place where, where Paul Heyman started from as well, I mean, it wasn't exactly like ECW was born on third, you know? Well, yeah. No. Well, I, I, want, I want to respond to a couple of things Mo said. Now, okay. you know, you know, he, he did say, you know, you said that a lot of these guys – you know, you know they they were great in ECW, and then when they when they left, they were exposed. You know, Paul Heyman had the ability to accentuate positives and hide negatives, but it's really easy to seem like a big deal in a small city. It's really easy to seem like a big deal in a small pond, but when you go into the universe of a WWE or WCW, you get lost in the shuffle if you don't have that spark. Uh, to make it and connect with the mainstream audience. Now, you talk about ECW. It's not fair to compare their product uh, and their television show and their production uh, of, 1990, of the 1990s in 2015. Uh, but you said that they were a um, – they were almost – you know, they were a, a product of their times, and they were, they were revolutionary for their time, right? At, you know, at one time, ECW was cutting edge. It was cool. You know, well, so was Limp Biscuit around the same time. And we see where they are today, right, uh, in the same place where I see is ECW, a product of their time, which at the time, if we want to talk about successes, I think Limp Biscuit had a diamond-selling album, right? ECW is on cable television. It should have either one of these things have happened? No, but guess what, guys? The 90s were a weird time, okay? But I just want to say that, I mean, <laughs> at the time, it was great. I mean, it was cool, 
right? Maybe it maybe it did spark an idea for Eric Bischoff to restart the, the cruiserweight division. Would he have done that anyway, bringing some guys from Japan? I don't know. Who am I to say? But to say that ECW was this was this catalyst that set the wrestling world on fire like we glorify it to be, it's not even close uh, 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 to a flame. I mean, uh, essentially, because to me, WWE without ECW would have still had the Attitude Era. The ECW did not start the Attitude Era as much as anyone wants to say. There are a few things that started the Attitude Era, and I think what started the Attitude Era, honestly, was Eric Bischoff breathing down Vince McMahon's throat, throwing money at all of his top stars. That caused the rift with Bret Hart. We saw the Montreal Screwjob, and that led uh, DX forming, and I really think that's where you started to see, and, and the Stone Cold Steve Austins and the Brian Pillmans and all that, that's where you started to see this Attitude, quote-unquote, era form. Without ECW, I think it would have still happened organically anyway. Maybe ECW, maybe Vince was like, hey, maybe we should have a hardcore title since people really like this. And Eric Bischoff did the same thing. Maybe we should have some hardcore. Uncensored? Should we do that? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. But aside from that, I don't see I don't see this uh, glorification of ECW. I don't, I don't see it living up to, to the hype. Well, I mean, I, I, I disagree because you know, I, I think I think one of the con- one of the major contributing factors to what changed during the Attitude Era, you know, you talk about well, wh- where where are these inspirations come? Well, you know, the Hardcore Title is is one of those examples, but let's forget about that for a minute. What about TLC? That pay per view doesn't exist without ECW. The idea of using tables and ladders and chairs and matches, some of those historic ladder matches which took place between the Hardys and the Dudleys. Chairs and ladders those, existed before but, ECW. But, but, but those those things are not prominently featured in WWE if not for ECW featuring 100% first. disagree. The, I, I, Correct. And, La- ladder and, match at WrestleMania 10. Another thing that I would say as well is, you know, just off the top of my head, the talents that I have wrote down here from ECW that have ex- that spent more than just a minute there. We talked about Jerry Lynn and Rob Van Dam and Eddie Guerrero and Chris Candido and Lance Storm. What about Dean Malenko, Cactus Jack, Raven, and Taz? Okay, I uh, mean, we're talking about guys, some of which are WWE Hall of Famers. Okay, Mick Foley didn't start in ECW. But he had like, a great run in ECW. Yeah, I after mean, leaving WCW. After, after after leaving a place that wasn't utilizing its talent correctly. Are you, ta- are you kidding me? He was in the main events with Sting. Austin 316 doesn't happen if Stone Cold Steve Austin doesn't grow himself in ECW before he goes to WWF. Well, when, 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 when Stone Cold Steve Austin went to the WWF, he was the ringmaster. All right? And then, then after a while, they let him be Stone Cold Steve Austin after he came up with the character. Okay, I don't, I don't see – ECW gave Steve Austin an opportunity to get a paycheck. I do agree with that. Maybe he did learn some things from pro, Paul Heyman. But, but to say that Stone Cold Steve Austin wouldn't have happened if he had not gone to ECW, to me, is asinine. I mean, that's ridiculous. Stone Cold Steve Austin wouldn't have happened if Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin was never born. That character is if in Steve him. If Steve Williams doesn't work with Paul Heyman, the Stone Cold character is never created. I, I don't agree. I disagree. And you know what? Steve Austin can can say differently. Maybe he says Paul Heyman has a huge part of coming up with the Stone Cold character. I've never heard him say the Stone Cold character was uh, was a, 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 a direct creation from his his time with Paul Heyman. I've never heard that, but he can say that. But Stone Cold Steve Austin, the character, is in that man. That he is one with that character. He turned the volume up. Right. I don't I don't agree with the fact that if he if he had not gone to ECW, that we wouldn't have a Stone Cold Steve Austin. You mean you're not going to convince me of of that at all, Mo? What say you? Yeah, I mean, I can I can understand Brad's point. I can almost agree with him on on this particular what? one. Um, 
yeah, I, I do think that um, Stone Cold was something that was separate to what we were seeing from Steve Austin in in ECW. I mean, that was quite a different character that he was portraying there compared to the Stone Cold of the WWF that emerged in 1996. Um, but I still agree overall, though, with Matt's point that there were just too many great talents that came through ECW, either as the promotion where they first made their names or the promotions where they were uh, reinvigorated and um, became um, in love with the business once again. You know, Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, when he left WCW, um, he was so down and depressed about the wrestling business, believe me. And um, ECW, with the character that he was portraying there, the anti-hardcore gimmick that he was doing, I mean, even to this day, he'll tell you that that was some of his most favorite work of his entire career. And um, that really reinvigorated him, and that brought him back into uh, a major league promotion in the WWF, and he had a fantastic run there, a Hall of Fame run. And, um, you know, that was that was the beauty of ECW, that it was a place where people could go and really express themselves. And there aren't many promotions where people can do that. And, um, well, because you know, it wasn't that, a major that's promotion. Why, that's why they had the creative freedom. It wasn't a major promotion. It was an independent promotion. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not, well, I'm, right. Here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that ECW was the worst thing that ever happened. I liked ECW for the time. But what I'm saying is we over-glorify it today. Now, Mo, you said something interesting earlier. Like when you talk about the matches from, from the 1980s and WWF, they're still classics. We talk about, you know, Macho Man and Hogan, right, or, 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 or Hogan and Andre or, or, or Warrior and Hogan or whatever, right? Um, we talk about those matches because they were still – they were great matches, right? But we don't really reflect on ECW or we shouldn't reflect on ECW as, as having these all-time barn burners. But here's the thing. I'm not discrediting uh, – I'm not discrediting for the time what ECW was able to do and accomplish. But what I'm saying is it doesn't, it doesn't deserve the overpraise that we give it for, for today because it really doesn't because at the end of the day, ECW – was a company now extreme championship wrestling i don't know how long the eastern championship wrestling thing lasted but to my knowledge ecw was around for about seven years it gave us some great stars it did it was it was a proving ground for some people right M much like reality wrestling is but i think reality wrestling is going to be great much bigger than uh, ecw when it when it's all said and done but i'm saying it was it was at the end of the day it's double a ball at the end of the day i mean it's arena football I mean, at the end of the day, that's all ECW was. It gave people an opportunity to maybe tinker with themselves a little bit, but no one was just saying, I'm going to ride or die for ECW because we're a legitimate contender. People were like, okay, I would love to spend some time here so I could go to WWE or WCW. I mean, at the end of the day, it was, yeah. it was minor leagues. But you know what, Brad, though? Um, if you go back to 1994, 95, 96, the WWF product really was in the doldrums. Um, Go back to 94, 95, and the WWF really was, uh, in a financial sense, struggling. Um, it was doing poor houses. Its pay-per-views were struggling. Its ratings were down. And um, the talent that it was bringing through uh, was just not very good. And the match quality was very, very poor on the whole. And it was very similar in WCW when you know, it was Hogan and all of his friends running rampant and all of the top and talented workers in WCW had been pushed out of the company. So the big two were really not putting on a very good product. 
And um, ECW was a fantastic alternative. It was something that was fresh. It was something that was original. It was something that was exciting and unpredictable. And um, it was cutting edge. And uh, that's why it was such a favorite product amongst the hardcore fans of that era. And this was pre-internet. So, you know, it was very much based on people who were involved in the tape trading scene at that time. And uh, amongst them, they absolutely were in love with ECW because it was really uh, an exciting product that was so um, uh, so passionate about being a wrestling product. And that was something that you could say about the other two promotions. And that's why if you watch ECW Hardcore TV on the WWE, WWE Network, you'll see that the fan base reactions um, for those shows from the 94, 95, 96 were just fantastic. I mean, albeit it was in a small uh, thousand-seat arena in the ECW arena, but uh, compare those reactions to what you were seeing on uh, WWF programming or WCW, it was a world of difference. And it was a world of difference because the fan base was passionate about the wrestling product and the people who were running the promotion were passionate about the product too. And as I say, WCW and WWF were not in that place at that time. And it was only later in the 90s when they upped their game, uh, when they competed head on. And uh, that, that for me is why ECW holds a special place and why it's so revered to this day. And that's why um, even in 2015, people will still chant the initials ECW because people remember what a special impact it had on the wrestling business. Uh, well, I, I think they look. I think they look back at it, you know, with fondness. Like I said, like you look at an ex-girlfriend, and then you realize, oh yeah, I, I, I remember why that relationship ended. But I just want to say this to, to close. I, I, ju I just want to say this is that we can say ECW did all these things that that, that changed the WWE and WCW's products. Um, n nothing that ECW did made a big as a difference um, as as Eric Bischoff made for WWE. ECW didn't do anything that made a big a difference for WWE as Eric Bischoff did for WWE. If it not been for Eric Bischoff, there wouldn't be a WWE as we know it right now. Without ECW, we would still have the WWE. Well, I mean, that's a good debate, guys, and uh, and we got we got to move on from there. Uh, but I do appreciate the uh, the opinions, and of course, let us know what you think. Tweet at us at pw underscore index on Twitter. Hate tweets at Brad Gilmore <laughs> for the Pro Wrestling Index. Yes, um, let's move on to a topic that um, is in vogue right now. Brock Lesnar, the Beast Incarnate, will face the Undertaker. Part three of their trifecta, their series, their rubber match, if you will, at Hell in the Cell. Uh, a lot of speculation about whether or not this may be Undertaker's final curtain call. Uh, we don't know, but um, interesting topic. So I wanted to ask you, gentlemen, what you thought about Brock Lesnar. How would you book Brock Lesnar? If you had the book, if you had the opportunity, how would you book him from now through to WrestleMania season? Do you think they're using him well? Is there a better way to use this special attraction uh, for WWE. What do you think, Mo? What would you do? I think the way they've used him this year has been probably the best they've ever used him. Um, he's somebody who comes across as a very, very special athlete and a very special performer, a unique individual. And that's exactly the way to portray him because that's exactly what he is. You know, he, there's very, very few people who look like him, who can do what he does. He's... Um, a freak and you've got to protect that because it's not often that people like that come along and to keep 
WrestleMania 32 special, they have to keep the guy strong. And so therefore, um, limit his exposure. Um, obviously, we've got the Hell in a Cell show coming up, and um, I expect Brock Lesnar to go over in that contest, and it would be absolutely ridiculous if The Undertaker wins that. So I'm, I'm certainly not expecting that, and I think that uh, Brock Lesnar will emerge victorious. We should then not see him for a good couple of months, perhaps um, in the lead-up to the Royal Rumble, when we can see him again, and... Um, after that, perhaps disappear once more and only re-emerge in the weeks leading up to WrestleMania. And for all of that to work and for all of that to have maximum impact, they have to know who his opponent will be for WrestleMania from now. Um, and that's the only way they can really, uh, really make the most of WrestleMania 32. As we've talked about on several occasions on this show, they've got an awful amount of tickets to sell um, for that show. And um, in order to sell all of those tickets, they need to have Brock Lesnar in a very prominent uh, match on that show that people will absolutely want to see. And there's not many opponents that he can have a match with um, that people want to see. And um, so they've got to make sure that the opponent is right. But if they get it right, then not only will that show be a massive success as a live event, it will also mean a um, considerable number of buys for the WWE Network for that month too. Um, so my suggestion is um, avoid the um, obvious kind of uh, temptation to try and use him more regularly on TV um, because of the rating slump and keep his appearances few and far between and really increase those in the lead up to WrestleMania. Let Paul Heyman do what he does best in the lead up to that show as well. And um, WrestleMania will be something special and build it around Brock. Well, you know, I think that's a good point. We we talked about earlier on the show as well that um, John Cena is going to be taking a break for a while. I know that this has been teased for a long time, and, and I don't think that the likelihood of Cena ever turning heel, if, if that even exists anymore in, in the current construct of WWE and its universe, would, would, would actually happen. But what a wonderful scenario, at least in my mind, it would be for Brock Lesnar to do what he does to The Undertaker, disappear, return at the Royal Rumble, Clear the ring, and at number 30, John Cena returns. Or at some point late in that match, John Cena returns and in some chicken shit manner gets Lesnar over the top rope, costing Lesnar an opportunity to go to WrestleMania, thus in some way, shape, or form setting up Cena and Lesnar at WrestleMania, possibly even in a triple threat with Seth Rollins or whoever the holder of the title would be at that time. I would think Roman Reigns, perhaps. Um, what do you guys think about that? I mean, that's an interesting idea. Um, <clears throat> because this, I don't think Brock and Rock is actually going to happen. Actually, it's being rumored. It's Rock it and could, Triple H. Yeah, it could be Rock and Triple H. Um, well, I, I have a different ideology about Brock Lesnar's WrestleMania future that, that might be interesting and may probably never happen, but I think it's an interesting idea. But I'm going to address yours first, Matt. Um, John Cena is a heel. I mean, I know we've clamored for it. It's always rumored. It's always talked about. But I'm pretty sure that's never going to happen. I know we're fantasy booking, but I'm pretty sure that's. Oh, I agree with you. Never, I don't think I don't gonna think it's going to happen either. Um, the likelihood of Brock Lesnar. I winning, think it will. You think it will? What What makes you think? Seeing the turning here. What makes you think that WWE would actually pull the trigger on that, Mo? I mean, I would love to see it, but I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Well, I see that um, you know, John Cena is somebody who's rapidly approaching 40 years of age, and his gimmick is all geared around appealing towards kids. 
and you know it won't be long before he's older than some of the dads of these kids and at that point it really is difficult to pull that gimmick off and it needs to move in a different direction so he can do one of two things one is say okay i've made tens of millions of dollars i'll settle down and um, enjoy my life and retire and walk away or he can reinvent himself and have a new run as the heel and um, that would be just a fantastic thing for the wwe it'd be one of the best storylines of all time in my view and i think that um, it needs to happen I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it will because i think john cena loves this business too much to just simply walk away and say okay um, my gimmick isn't working anymore. I can't pull it off. I'm 41, 42 years of age, um, so let's call it a day. Now, I think he'll move in a different direction, turn heel at that point. So I think he's still um, going to continue in his current role for a good three, four years. Um, but there has to be a time for me when he does change. Brad, um, well, I think uh, the, the the John Cena heel turn, I don't think we're ever going to see that. But, I mean, I don't know. Whatever. It could happen down the road. Um Back to the Royal Rumble thing, I think Brock Lesnar has a high likelihood of, of winning the Royal Rumble. I think it might be a way that you could actually finally get the fans not to hijack the Royal Rumble this year and put Brock in at number, th maybe even number 15 and just have him throw everybody out one at a time as they come in. Like, literally, how awesome would that be? Just one person, suplex city out, you know what I mean, the whole time. I think that could happen. But what I think would be an interesting path for Brock Lesnar to take is, um, you know, WrestleMania has always been a special ground for some epic face versus face matches. You know what I mean? Like we've seen some of the greatest baby face versus baby face matches of all time at WrestleMania. And I think another one could happen. Can you imagine though, you know, it's always been rumored that, you know, we're, we're, it's, it was rumored earlier this year, at least that we we're going to see Brock Taker three at WrestleMania, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And, um, I would just love for, for the curiosity factor and for the marquee standpoint, a match that no one ever thought they would see. And I think it would be interesting to see Brock Lesnar versus Sting at WrestleMania 32 in Dallas and with, with the stipulation of if Sting loses, he retires. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, I think that's the, the, the curtain call for the Stinger. I think I'd, li I'd like to see it. Matt, you seem to be shaking your head at that one. No, I would not like to see that. Why? Because Sting, Sting couldn't stay healthy in a match with Seth Rollins. If he works with Brock Lesnar, he'll die. No, I mean, Brock, I mean, Brock doesn't kill Taker. Brock's I mean, never, oh, no, no, no. Just, I, here's just, the thing. And why do people think Brock's unsafe? Continuity, why, I mean, is, why do people think Brock's unsafe? It's not, it's not, I'm not calling Brock unsafe. I'm simply saying Brock works, works stiff. I mean, he works stiff, yeah. Let, wait, stiff. No, but let's let's look back at WrestleMania 19. Otherwise, it's not going to be realistic. You let's, can't. No, no, no. Go hold ahead. on. Go let's ahead. look at WrestleMania 19. Kurt Angle actually called Vince McMahon like a week before WrestleMania 19 and said, "I can't compete. My neck's too injured." Right? Called him back the next day and said, "Actually, screw that. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wrestle on the show. I'm gonna wrestle Brock Lesnar." Right? And we're talking about a green Brock Lesnar, and the guy made it look vicious, but he ended up protecting Kurt, and Kurt didn't get seriously injured in that match. So, I mean, when we talk about – and then we look at Brock with, with uh, Undertaker when he's concussed, and we talk about Brock with Undertaker at SummerSlam when he was 50 years old. Brock, Brock is, is, is rough, but he'll still keep you safe, and you're not going to be too harmed after a match. In my opinion, now I might be off the wall, but I'd like to see Brock and Sting. I, I just think, you know, if, if Sting I has... – I don't want to see Brock rock. I don't want to see Brock Taker. I don't want to see Brock Cena. So I'm thinking. Well, I mean, I think. It, I mean, the only the only thing that makes sense for me in terms of Sting having one more match would be against Undertaker, since it's the match that uh, that I would say the majority of the fan base has always wanted to see. And if we're not, gonna I would see love that, to see it. Yeah. If we're not going to see that at WrestleMania, 
um, what's what's the point? You know, from my understanding, Sting is 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 from the Dallas area now. Uh, Taker yeah. from Texas. Um, what a what a curtain call it would be for both of them to go out in their own home state. I mean, it'd be awesome to see um, them. Um, I'm but, just saying we've always heard that, but it's never happened. But I mean, know? you know, if, if if Sting can't defeat a depleted Seth Rollins for the WWE Championship, <laughs> he's certainly not going to defeat a a well rested Brock Lesnar. I agree, Matt, and I think that um, it was just shut Sting. Up. Sting the Undertaker have to be programmed in. I certainly wouldn't put Sting against Brock. And, you know, that wouldn't be a very plausible or believable kind of uh, program that fans can really get behind. For me, and I, I didn't mention uh, the name earlier specifically, but the name that I want to mention uh, f- for whom it makes complete sense, in my opinion, is for Brock Lesnar to face Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, there are very minor teasers being thrown out there to suggest this could happen. Um, if you remember, Paul Heyman was on Stone Cold's podcast um, on the WWE Network several months ago. At the end of that, they put a bit of a minor teaser. Brock Lesnar is on Stone Cold's podcast again later this month. That would be the ideal opportunity to, again, hint in that direction. I would then go and not say anything about it until around the Rumble time where Stone Cold can perhaps do some kind of uh, segment at the Rumble and he can have some form of altercation with Brock. That then manifests itself into something perhaps at the following month's um, big show uh, where they can do something again and culminate it in a big angle on the following night's Raw where it sets up for a contest between those two guys, and they can then spend the next six to eight weeks all the way up to WrestleMania hyping that. And with Stone Cold and Heyman going back and forth on promos, that's just going to be five-star gold. And um, what better way for Stone Cold to cap his career and end it than to wrestle in front of his homestay crowd, 100,000 people against Brock Lesnar. Uh, I think that would just be a fantastic uh, marquee matchup, and it would be one of the all-time great WrestleMania matches too. I mean, but you want to talk about a guy, though, who has, uh, you know, you talk about Brock being working a little stiff and someone who has some previous injuries. Stone Cold's in his 50s, retired in 2003 from professional wrestling because of a serious neck injury, uh, you know, that, that he was worried about his, his long-term health. The guy spent the night in the hospital before WrestleMania 19. Uh, I but you mean, said I, he worked safe. You uh, said he worked safe. Well, I know, so. I'm just, I'm, but I'm using your logic <laughs> against you on this one. I mean, uh, I mean, when we talk about now, Sting doesn't, as we know, as we at least as we know right now, doesn't have a serious neck injury. Now we, he might prove to have a serious neck injury or whatever, but we know Steve Austin has had neck fusion surgery, and he's in the same predicament as Edge and a couple others that he he falls the wrong way, he could be paralyzed the rest of his life. So I, I mean, don't think we're going to well, see that. But let's 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 be realistic here. Um, I mean, I I, I think I think Lesnar. Austin would be a dream match. I, be awesome. I, I, I don't. I, I mean, it would be just incredible. I just, I just don't think we're ever going to see that happen. Uh, I would love to see it. I don't think we're going to see it happen. Sting and 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 Lesnar certainly is is not going to happen. Well, it's Who, got a better chance than Steve Austin. I don't. Stuff. I think. I think both of them have an equal chance of never happening. But what <laughs> what. Um, realistically, who do you who do you because here I think are are the options. You've got Roman Reigns. Which you already wrestled at WrestleMania. But th- but there's still unfinished business. You have Seth Rollins, which there's certainly some unfinished business there. Correct. Um, you have John Cena, which which could make sense in, in a number of ways. Other than those three, or The Rock, who I don't think that's going to happen because I think if he does come back, 
to work WrestleMania, it will be him and Triple H. Um, and that's what all the rumors are indicating. I think he's coming back, too. I mean, what other options do I, you have for Brock Lesnar at this point? I don't know. I mean, I think with Triple H, though, the signs for me are pointing in the direction of Triple H and Seth Rollins. Um, there's been, again, as I mentioned, you know, those little subtle hints that um, all's not well in that camp between the, those two. And um, there's been dissension tease, and I think that's a longer-term storyline. And I, I, I think those two will go out here at WrestleMania. So I don't see Triple H and uh, The Rock um, going uh, going together. But I, th- I think you're right, Matt. The options for Brock are, are fairly limited um, for, for WrestleMania. Um, I think that a completely... Left field suggestion would be, uh, for, and this would probably be something Vince would be very keen on, is Braun Strowman. Um, he's certainly being pushed as a monster, and um, you know, monster versus monster at WrestleMania. Sure, he's 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 not um, anywhere near a marquee name at this moment in time, but you know, WWE has in the past uh, been quite successful in turning just another guy into a very hot act. Um, within a short space of time. And if they book Braun Strowman correctly, perhaps even put him over at the Royal Rumble, um, you never know. I mean, he could be um, a, a viable opponent for, for Brock. I don't think it'd be a particularly great match. I mean, he's still a very green um, athlete, but uh, that, that's possibly an opponent for him. Um, I certainly wouldn't be going in that direction, but knowing Vince's logic, you know, he, he might have that in the back of his mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as as Tony Schiavone once said, that'll put some butts in the seat. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, great pull right there, Matt. Um, you know, one guy, and, and we keep bringing up guys with uh, injuries, but uh, one guy <laughs> that I think we've forgotten about uh, who is currently employed by WWE and was originally supposed to wrestle Brock at SummerSlam two years ago, Daniel Bryan yeah. may be a possibility. Um, what if Brian returns at the Royal Rumble and, and finally is about to win it and Brock dumps him out, you know, before lastly being eliminated by John Cena or, Royal, or someone, you know, Seth Rollins or whomever. Um, but what, what if there's a, a feud where we get another uh, heel turn from Brock and, and, and we lead him down the path of Daniel Bryan or leave him face and have an ultimate face versus face Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania? Well, that's a great call. Yeah, yeah I mean, all, I like that. All, all, all pretty good options. Um, I, I, I think mine's probably the best, but, uh, but I'm partial to, to myself <laughs> in my own opinion. Uh, everybody, uh, thanks for listening. Let us know what you think by uh, tweeting at us at the Pro Wrestling Index uh, P, at PW underscore Index on Twitter. Guys, a great conversation here tonight. Before we get out of here, uh, shameless plugs as always, uh, Mo. We'll start with you. What do you have coming up? Anything you'd like to suggest uh, people watch or listen to or anything you have going on? Um, nothing really other than to uh, just suggest to uh, listeners that, you know, we've got so many great podcasts um, covering Liverpool Football Club, um, especially at this moment in time oh, when there's gosh. a lot going on it's with the club. It's crazy the amount of um, coverage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now. I've, I've been listening to some of the uh, the podcasts with Dave Hendricks and, and Gags and uh, others, and uh, some of the uh, points have been made, some of the conversation, the discussion has been absolutely fantastic, some of the best we've heard on the AO channel today. So, uh, you know, I'm going to plug some of the other shows on, on the channel and uh, certainly suggest listeners go and check those out. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving some of the stuff that Dave is doing right now. I'm dying to get him back on the show, and hopefully we can get him back in uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, uh, well done, incredible work uh, by Gags. I mean, and again, as always, thank uh, thanks to him for the uh, for the platform and allowing us to do this on uh, on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. Uh, 
Uh, Brad Gilmore, you have so much going on. Why don't you tell the listeners about it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, once again, I appreciate Mo and, and Matt for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I do want to say Paul Heyman, creative genius, uh, one of my idols. But we, you know, we said what we said about ECW. Um, but <laughs> podcasts uh, that I have, you know, you can check out the Brad Gilmore show on demand. We got new episodes uh, uh, getting here pretty regularly now. But um, also, your opinion doesn't matter that I co-host with Matt Topolsky. Heated conversations with Booker T. And Back to the Future of the Podcast with my co-host David Mitchell and Norm- DJ Normie Norm, uh, Norman Binford. Uh, new episodes every Saturday or Sunday, depending on what time zone you live in, uh, for Back to the Future of the Podcast. We're talking about Back to the Future Part 2. A lot of interesting things happening in 2015. Um, future Day's coming up. Future Day's coming up. The Cubs have made the playoffs. <laughs> Pepsi Perfect's coming out, and we just got a trailer for Jaws 19. So it's really crazy, but all hate tweets <laughs> at Brad Gilmore. Well, um, thank you both uh, for, for being in here for a great conversation. You can find out more about me uh, at Matt Topolsky on Twitter. And, um, you know, that's pretty much it. Follow Reality of Wrestling. Go to realityofwrestling.com. We have a lot of great shows coming up. Uh, we are touring Texas with three live events this month. We have one at the Clear Lake Sports and Recreation Complex this Saturday night. We're doing one in Spring, Texas on the 17th and one the night before Halloween on the 30th in Nacogdoches. And, of course, the Reality of Wrestling Global Headquarters opening soon. So um, exciting stuff, exciting time to follow Reality of Wrestling at realityofwrestling.com. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here for the Pro Wrestling Index. We will be back next week. We are on the road to hell in a cell. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.